what's up everyone thanks for tuning in to another episode of crossover commerce my name is ryan kramer and this is episode 130 of my show crossover commerce presented by ping pong payments this is my corner of the internet where i bring the best and brightest i like to say today's guest we'll, we'll, we'll kind of like play around with that idea but best and brightest in the amazon and e-commerce world uh in terms of with their thought leadership but also they're walking the walk because and they're also talking the talk so that's why i want to bring my guests onto the show so that they can share that with this audience to you listener out there who is an amazon seller looking to grow their brand internationally whether it be on Amazon or a different marketplace, or just really trying to take your entrepreneur journey to the next level. That's what the show is all about. But as always, this show is presented by Ping Pong Payments. What is Ping Pong Payments? No, we are not a table tennis company. We are a payment solutions provider, a growth partner, if you will, helping people grow and scale their businesses online, helping people pay their uh, factories, their VAs, their suppliers and manufacturers internationally, and then also receiving multiple different currencies uh, from all over the world so that you can conveniently convert it over into the currency that you need at a, an affordable rate. Don't trust other banks. Don't trust other sorts of solutions out there. Trust Ping Pong. Go ahead and sign up for a free account today, Ping Pong Payments. You can do that in the show notes below, or you can go ahead and check out uh, usa.pingpongx.com. Just mention Crossover Commerce when you sign up and That'd be great to know. But as always, this show is not about me. It's about the guests we have onto this show. And of course, the person I wanted to bring on about this topic we're going to be covering is your brand ready for international growth. So what's next? A uh, friend of the show who's already been on with us before, he is a founder slash co-founder of his agency, Cardology, elevating brands to new heights worldwide. They've helped brands get onto marketplaces like Walmart, uh, international growth in terms of Canada, Europe, so on and so forth. But we always have this banter back and forth in this, this growth of Amazon's great and fantastic and it has a large majority of the audience share. But as brands continue to evolve and make more of a brand focused play, what does that growth potential look like? So international expansion is what we're going to be talking about today. The next new frontier for your brand, what to look for, what opportunities are out there. And really, he... His words, not mine, quote, unquote, talk about the hot e-commerce gossip out there nowadays. Ladies and gentlemen, of course, listener, you know who I'm talking about, Michael Mayer of Cardology. Michael, what's up, man? How are you? Hot gossip is right. I want to <laughs> spill the beans on everybody. <laughs> it, we're talking about, yeah, we're not talking about like other uh, secrets that we're uh, that we've heard. We're talking about just like news and no, I'm talking, about, I'm talking about personal secrets. I'm talking about your personal secrets. I'm talking about my personal secrets. We're going to get personal today. We're going to spill a lot of tea here today, but I forgot you know to bring in the tea cup. We're talking about the last frontier, and I used to live in Oklahoma, and I we had to practice uh, being Oklahoma Sooners that would, like, you know, rush and, like, grab land. Like, in fourth grade, when you learn about your state, I remember being on – a big dusty playground and us like setting up our own camps and like creating cardboard. It was boxes and it was crazy. So <laughs> I, was, I thought you were, I thought you were going to turn this into a Star Trek thing, but you, you <laughs> made this a personal attack on Oklahoma. So for the listener who is out there in the middle of Oklahoma, I apologize for Michael here, but Hey man, it's good to have you on. We were kind of joking around before this. Uh, if people are watching, when people are watching this, they're going to be watching in the middle of their different conferences uh, in their sessions over at Prosper, which is happening in uh, Las Vegas, which again, for, for people who are watching this and you haven't done so already, go ahead and check out Prosper show. 
July 13th and 15th. It's going to be in Las Vegas. If you're there, we're by booth 2137. Believe it or not, we're in the middle of uh, Gatita and Jungle Scout. So to give you kind of a reference point, I know exactly where we're at. I'm not there. You're not there. And we were talking about why, why maybe that was the fact. So I'm just curious for people listening to this. Why are we not there? <laughs> we stayed in the Midwest. Um, I, That's right. I don't know. You're. I mean, you're like, you're in Indianapolis, right? So I mean, you're like- That's right. Two and a half hours. I the fact that I've not seen you in person is kind of a shame. So I'll have to make at least make a trek up to Indianapolis to grab lunch or something. But right. the reason I and I was I was pretty intentional about not going to Prosper. Not that I was. Um, we're not against it. We're we're just people might know why are we not there? Yeah, exactly. The reason, and I think it would be good at some point to get out there because I I know there's a lot of value. There's a lot of Amazon connected people there. From my perspective. My target audience, it's really about brands. And I want to I want to go after like the VP of marketing, the VP of sales, the head of business development, the CEOs, founders, stuff like that. And I think more of the, the people that I'm trying to go after, at least from a client perspective and building relationships in that sense, they might be at uh, the Expo West or Expo East, something like that, whenever they whenever those uh, you know, end up coming back online, but they're at shows where there's more brand focused stuff. And I wanna be able to go in and connect and not get lost in the crowd of Amazon stuff. Um, and, and, I and I love geeking out about Amazon stuff too, but I think my, my audience is just maybe a little bit more generalized in that sense. But I know a lot, I have a lot of friends, uh, other agency owners that are out there uh, at Prosper. I think it's, um, it would be a good show that I need to get to at some point. And I, I have no um, qualms about going. I'm also not like a, a big Vegas person. I'm speaking at another event. Uh, if you're in Atlanta, check out my buddy Ronell Richards next week. I'm speaking at one of his events called Business in Bourbon. Well, that's his community. Uh, shout out to Ronell. And we talk about business and we have good whiskey. So that's right at my alley. I'm gonna get an opportunity to talk about building a brand, e-commerce, Amazon, what that looks like. Uh, so I am going to be doing that, not opposed to, to speaking, if anything, um, maybe even one of my my goals would be to, to make it to Prosper and be able to talk and talk about brands and kind of bring that into the space. Because as especially as venture capital comes in, which is just dominating a lot of the news when it comes to Amazon, there's a lot more conversations that are going to be had about what's what is a seller, what are brands, whatever the case may be. Absolutely. You had on lots of great points. And I think that we can certainly dive into that. <clears throat> But obviously, the ones I want to take away are this is one thing I noticed uh, to kind of stick with the networking uh, side of things is that Amazon or just entrepreneurs in general, especially in this online space, like there is something about when you have a party and it seems to go all out, whether it's like food and beverage, but even just elevating in front of that of just having things to do and just really the high level of knowledge that comes out of these events is almost second to none. And I can't believe that people continually, continuously up themselves in terms of bigger, better, more quote unquote prosperous, uh, different events. And we actually had on the show, the co-founders of Prosper, um, Aton uh, Wiener, uh, he's now at Gatita and he, he's oh, he is. About, you know, yeah. So he's, he's really cool so, dude. I've met him in New York before and just an awesome dude. Um, I, I mean, he seems like he'd be great to, to work with. Yeah, he was, well, so this is his journey and I call it the trifecta, right? He was the seller. He had a brand and he's exited that brand. He's in the service industry, but he was also uh, an events person. Uh, he helped coordinate, prosper and develop that. 
uh, before whomever, I, I forget, honestly, uh, the name of the company who took over Prosper and now is running it. Um, but yeah, it might be whoever was in charge of IRCE. Yeah. Yeah. It's one, it's one of those two. I mean, obviously it's a brand and it's like kind of under their umbrella and they get sure. the naming rights. And we talked about that on a prior, well, I'm going to say two shows ago, but that being said, it's just fascinating how people continuously, uh, not just a big events, but smaller events like meetups. Like I'm not sure how big this one is, but people find value in the smaller get to know you kind of events. And I think that's yes. really cool with that mm -hmm. is um, it's a community of people helping each other, but it's also that handshaking and how can I help you out? Because I, I think this would be the natural segue into our next segment would be not everyone can do everything, correct? Like yeah. you know about it, but you have to lean on partnerships. You have to lean on other people in the space to help you grow. Yeah, I mean, I, I think one of the ways that I've looked at growing my agency is not reinventing the wheel in every certain capacity. So you mentioned Gataida. Um, we also work with uh, someone else that's in the... Um, in the Amazon reimbursement space, uh, Refund Sniper. And mm -hmm. I mean, essentially, there's no way that we could create, it would take a lot of time to create a service uh, and it would require a lot of knowledge and it would require very skilled people. So it just, it takes time to build a brand that knows uh, or a company that knows something, even just like it's taken, you know, to build an agency. And there's a lot of, as there's a lot more venture capital that's coming into the, into the space, there is, a lot more focus on Amazon experts or people that know what they're talking about with Amazon. So we're seeing a huge influx of people coming into the space and saying, I'm an Amazon expert, I can help with this. And so, and cause it's just growing, it's a, it's a burgeoning industry, but we partner with those Amazon reimbursement companies because the level of detail that they're going in to help get money back for the brands we're working with, it's so incredible. There's no, I don't even want to begin, you know, to try and build something because partnering with them just makes sense. So when I look at building our agency, when I look at building Cartology, I want to look at things from a, from a, a sense of who can we partner with? What companies can, uh, can we work with to provide services to our clients and maybe we would normally do. And so now we're able to provide different creative solutions by partnering with someone. We're able to provide fulfillment solutions. And that's something I never really wanted to get my hands in actually helping with fulfillment stuff. But having a partner that does something like that, that is a, is a, a world, makes a, a big world uh, of difference. I recently connected with uh, some of the people at AMZ Prep uh, to create something that's really personalized for the, the brands that we work with. Uh, I think I saw Blair make a comment on the post about like, you know, us going live today. Uh, so, I mean, that's enabled us to actually grow the agency without having to increase our, our like physical footprint. And there's also, I just feel like I think about things and one of the things I think about, I mean, I guess everybody thinks about things. That was kind of a dumb thing to say. I think about charities, like there's all these different charities. What if all those charities work together that are trying to fight cancer or fight autism or whatever the case might be? What if they all came together? Because at a certain point, we're just fractionalizing ourselves. So I think about like, how can I utilize what's already out there to actually build and grow? And then we're actually working together. I end up bringing them more business. They can potentially bring me business. It just seems like it really, it makes a lot of sense to do it that way. Well, you, you mentioned something like conquering, dividing. Someone made this post um, on a on a solution like uh, or like a network like uh, LinkedIn. And I saw, what if uh, billionaires decided to try to conquer world hunger instead of a race to space or something like that? Yeah, something something really funny and it's applicable to everyone in the world. They're like, why, why does it matter who gets the space first and can fly? It's a really cool concept, but 
they're right in theory, right? As we are divided into all these issues, there's overwhelmingly big glaring things like how to build a brand internationally or how to grow it. Um, you can't do it all yourself. So why not pull resources together to like move the needle instead of being fractured, like you mentioned. So I thought that was funny and something that was definitely applicable in this sort of context. But so, so you make, you made a good point of there's a lot of, there's sexy topics about um, the aggregator space. And it was even mentioned yesterday, it was lots of news releases are coming out today of like more aggregators are raising more funds and capital there. Uh, there was actually an aggregator that purchased a brand almost like an agency, but an acquirer of brands for a hundred million dollars. And that was perch, um, purchasing a different company for a hundred to $200 million. Lots yeah. of money is being thrown around to land grab. But the thing I think too is going from like purchasing brands, there's a huge skill set gap for people that can actually help. So if you've got an agency right now or you're a service provider, you're, and you actually know what you're doing, you're incredibly valuable. So we're going to start to see uh, these big, bigger aggregators start purchasing service agencies so they can bring talent internally. So, and I know that there are other people that are helping create solutions for that. Like my buddy, Brett Bohannon, who is, um, who's also a service provider, he's creating a solution. I don't know what the actual brand name is, but he's creating a solution where he can take people who maybe know e-commerce, but don't know Amazon and actually get them up to speed quicker. Uh, and then and then push the, that talent to agencies like myself or, or other brands. So, I mean, we're gonna start to see agencies and service providers really be purchased up and hitch their star to these aggregators because there's, there's just a lot of cash there. Well, I guess that was my next uh, natural question and maybe you answered it. Is that something that you as a company are inevitably going to have to look into or figure out how to partner up? Because what, there, there's a pros and cons with money, right? That gets thrown around. There's there's much bigger plays at hand that you are experts in what you know how to do. You have the creative team. You have all these assets at your disposal. It wouldn't make sense for a company to just go out and try to build them themselves when you already have the wherewithal and know-how. Yeah. It wouldn't make sense for a business or an agency or consumers uh, to, to kind of like scale up and instead of overcoming them themselves, they just either acquire and kind of build out that, that network underneath them. Is that probably the natural progression that you're going to have to inevitably face as a company? I, I think that's something that I've, I've been prepping myself for. And honestly, even over the past couple of years, as I've developed stuff and, and even before any of the aggregators got in the space or just became really public last year, um, there were people that were like, hey, we're maybe interested in acquiring your agency. And so I'll always entertain stuff, whatever the offer might be. And I'm also more increasingly open to however business comes our way. Uh, that's cool with me. So maybe it's not, you know, we pitch someone and say, hey, we, we want to manage your brand on Amazon. Well, maybe we can't really afford full time management. What we can offer you, what we would like to do is have you set up our store and then provide us ongoing consulting. So it's going to be a little bit cheaper to start, maybe get to the place where we really need full service. So I'm, I'm working on more creative ways and I'm getting feedback from my team too that we need to be creative in, in how the, some of the ways that we actually garner business. But I uh, am always open to have a conversation when it, talk, when, when it comes to opportunity into the future. Here's my personal feeling on it though. I want to be different. And not just for the sake of being different and um, and you know funky and, and cool in that regard. I just want to be able to do things a little bit differently. So what I mean by that is instead of in building my agency, uh, it's all bootstrapped. But instead of getting 
you know, a big investment from someone hiring a lot of people, trying to bring on as many clients as possible. I'm trying to build something that really is sustainable. And so that means finding the right people and building out the right systems and refining that over time. I also believe in having long-term relationships. Um, my wife and I started dating like 17 years ago, which is crazy. I'm not that old. I'm 35. Uh, I had no idea what I was doing when, when we, <laughs> <laughs> I got married when I was 22. All my friends thought I was crazy. Um, but I, it was a great decision that I made. So, but when I, but when I look at how we're doing things, I want to be able to be very intentional about what we're doing and the, the relationships that we're building. So the people on my team, developing them, investing in them and helping to create an environment where, environment where they feel loyalty to what we're doing and to be really purpose driven. And so that's one of the things that I feel like differentiates us. And I'm still in the process of working through what is what does the messaging look like? But I, I really see three kinds of sellers on Amazon. I see the resellers and that's actually how I got started. I uh, actually was reselling the products on eBay, then moved to Amazon, then moved to creating my own brand, did that for about six years and then moved into the the agency side of things. So there's there's resellers. Uh, typically, they can't hire us because their margins are really small and, and it's kind of drifting away from that unless you've got some kind of exclusive deal. And then there are the private label people, which I feel a lot of people end up going to prosper for because there's a lot of do-it-yourselfers there. They want to um, learn and they want to create and build their own things and they're kind of adapting to Amazon. They're not necessarily creating a brand as in, I don't know, anyone who pays attention to Donald Miller and story brand. I'm a big fan of that uh, and I've read through a lot of his stuff, but having a brand, having a story telling that a lot of the private label companies are, are doing well and, and successful, but it's not really building a brand. And then I see the brands. And like I talked about earlier, the brands who have a story, they're really, especially those that are purpose or mission driven. Um, we just picked a, up a client who, who is, you know, in the cosmetic space, but also is trying to help, um, give money to uh, girls to get them into, not just random girls, but give money to get more girls involved in STEM. And ironically, I just dropped my daughter off at this uh, STEM camp that she's going to at school and she's learning how to to do kind of basic game building. It's like for anyone- right. Coding, but kind of masked in games and stuff. Yeah, it's like Roblox it, it, and building uh, her own game inside of Roblox is kind of what it's like. And she was showing my dad that yesterday. So, I mean, it's coming full circle, but I really want to focus on the, the mission-driven brands. And so I don't know, my goal is not to, is not to sell and, and is not to get acquired. Uh, I'm sure that that's something that will be entertained, but I really want to, make it about building something unique and special. And I feel like my, my goal was never to build something to exit. I'm not saying that I'm not opposed to that, but if I were to exit my company, I feel like if anything, it would be more like a, like a ESOP, like an employee stock option um, plan where the comp the people that run the company actually own it. And that that's really where, where my heart is at. And I want, I enjoy doing this. Like I'm not looking to get out of it, but I also want to, be able to have my own say in what our company does, what we focus on, the messaging. I don't really want to be beholden to other people and their interest in something. And here's the thing, just like in the founder's dilemma, you have to look at control versus um, control and, and money are kind of at odds with each other. The more that you 
maintain control of your business, the less opportunity you have to generate revenue. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with maintaining some of the control, even if that limits our potential to generate revenue, because I want to build something that is unique. And I think I'd rather build in a niche space and focus on mission-driven brands uh, that really want to have an impact as opposed to servicing the Amazon, the, the Amazon sphere at large. Right. Well, well, you you bring a lot of good points. If I didn't know you're an agency, Michael, and I said, hey, Cardology was basically a, a brand itself. Let's call you a brand. I think that same thought process goes through the mind of every single entrepreneur out there, whether it's a three-piece seller or someone who's actually trying to grow something. They took something retail. They said, hey, I think I can grow internationally or I can have a bigger reach. If I figure out this online thing, that's, the, that's like you said, the founder's dilemma is, how do I make all my efforts and my goals and ambitions match up with the people I work with or work for or investors or stockholders? And how do I take that to the next level? And I think that's, that's the puzzle that everyone's trying to figure out, right? Is as a brand, how, when am I ready for international growth? Like, do I have the money and assets and the people to be able to figure that out? Do I have the support system, the partnership network? Do I have all these different things aligned so that I am ready for growth so I don't fail inevitably, potentially even, um, if, if I'm not actually ready? So with that being said, you're kind of the shepherd of a brand when they trust you into growing I like like online. Uh, you're, you're, you're the shepherd of uh, these waters or, you know, the fog. You're trying to feel your way out and try to lead these people into more prosperous lands. When do you tell people, hey, you're ready for Canada? You're ready for Germany? You're ready for this opportunity to grow internationally? What's that conversation like with a client? I think it's more of a feeling. I love that that shepherding uh, analogy. I'm a huge analogy. You're allowed to steal it. Go for it. I was just going to say I may end up stealing that. I tell people that we don't, there's nothing like, ship or water themed what we say we're helping you nav like cartology is helping you navigate amazon and one of the things that i stress in a lot of the content that i put out which is mostly on linkedin but is going to be uh there's going to be more on our blog i'm launching a podcast called the longer game that's focusing on the future of retail hopefully that in the process of recording stuff right now i'll have you on that so boom everyone now you know but surprise i, I will <laughs> i will be in the content that 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 I'm putting out, I want to, I want to be able to, I just want to be intentional about stuff, and I and but I want to, I also want to talk about partnering, and partnering is something that is really really gonna benefit everybody out there. So the brands that need help, they need to find a service partner that can actually really help. And I've even said I don't it doesn't need to be me. Because not everyone's gonna gonna even be a fit with my agency. And again, like I said, I know we're wanting to grow sustainably, and so I'm bringing on people that I know are going to be a good fit, and not bringing on like five employees or five team members at a time, or twenty or whatever the case might be. We don't have a, a ton of capital even to to bring those people on. That's just not the direction I'm looking for for the business. No shade on any of the people out there that are doing that. I just wanted to do it the specific way, and I've got a great team of people. Um, we're, we're serving, you know, some brands, we're looking to about double that this year and we're on our way to, to, to do that. Um, so, but, but partnering is, is the way that I think brands are going to be successful. If you don't know what's going on with Amazon, you're not going to be able to learn it in six months or a year. And the reason I put that time frame on there is because if you don't get things together in the next six months to a year, it's going to take that much longer for you to break into the market because, cost per click, 
on advertising is going up. There's more people coming into the space. These aggregators are coming in and buying brands. And now they've got a lot of buying power that's coming behind it. So they can bid as, as high as they want on some of these terms, maybe even not be profitable for a while, like a bigger brand traditionally would and get and be be more visible in the space to get the attribution they need to. So we're starting to get into to some of the nitty gritty of stuff, but partnering is gonna be huge. And so when it comes to, to bring it full circle, talking about that conversation of what does moving from the US to another marketplace look like? It really is gonna be, I mean, the, the, the baseline is, do we have something repeatable and that's working in the US if that's the main marketplace? We have a client whose main marketplace is the UK. So is everything sustainable in the UK? Do we have stuff that, that works? Once we have that and we've got everything figured out, and that might take six months to, to really do, we can then take that and say, okay, let's replicate that on Canada. Let's replicate that uh, in the UK. And then it's also just looking at what are your products? So we have a client who um, we're launching in Singapore and he's got a great brand and it's an English speaking country. I think I should just said speaking, but it's an English speaking country. So that kind of is a, is a natural progression. Uh, I have a, another brand that's gonna be launching in Australia. And it's it's part of that sunny, you know, climate atmosphere type product. And so that's something that is going to, I think, work well. So it's about saying, is our base, is our foundation there in our first marketplace? From there, then where do we want to look at expanding? Because there is opportunity there. Amazon's revenue from a so I, when you look at you know Amazon saying, oh, there's 350 billion dollars in sales and revenue as a company, um, that's a little bit deceiving because the money is, is broken down by AWS, it's broken down by their ads, it's broken down by the marketplace. And so the ads business might be, I think it was 10 billion like a year or two ago. So I imagine it's probably closer to maybe 15, 20 billion now, but the actual marketplace, the US marketplace does about 147, anywhere between 140, 100 billion dollars in sales each year. Germany is the next closest marketplace at 27 billion. So there's a hundred plus, billion gap that's there, but that's going to start to rise. I think the UK is after Germany at like 20. Um, and then it's like two and two, a, yeah. And then, and then Japan and some of the other marketplaces. And, and what I've talked about with people who do translations and help to actually localize content in some of those areas is, do you know the shopper? What, what is kind of fluffy writing here in the U S from what I understand, isn't gonna fly in Germany because it's more of a technical person. They want the facts, they just want what, what the product's gonna do and that's what is gonna be bought. If you do that in the US, people are gonna laugh at you and say, well, you don't have any marketing, there's no sales copy, blah, 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 blah. So you have to know what your product is, who your target audience is. Again, I'm speaking to a target audience, but our clients have a target audience. Their audience is on Amazon because more than half people, uh, half of people in the US are going to Amazon just to do product research. 54% is the number that I found. So they're on Amazon, but it's where are they on Amazon? Because what we're doing for like one of our clients, uh, they're, they're called Everyman and they make these really awesome pens, um, the Grafton pen. And this is, it's like a $40 pen. So nice. Uh, you just refill the ink and I feel very cool when I use it. Um, so definitely a, a, a client that I stand behind and that I even like using their, you know, their products. Um, but he's got a very defined audience. And so we have to go after those 
people, we have to go after his audience that's on Amazon and not just focus on, we might cast a white net initially, but we have to make sure we're, we're finding those people. So it, it's, it's situational, but are you, are you ready where you're at now? Are you set and can you replicate that elsewhere? And then just making smart decisions. Like once you get that conversation going, maybe we take the top product line and launch it in this country to see how that performs. Maybe we don't bring the whole catalog over because it's a lot to, to move a whole catalog from one place to the other. Even if you've got help and assistance and it takes time and shipping rates right now are incredibly more expensive. I've heard three and four times higher to get like a container sent to the US one of our clients said three times, I spoke with a, a prospect and they said four times. So if you're paying $1,000 to ship something, it now costs you four grand, which is crazy. So I think you just have to be, once you once you know you're ready, it's then about just being strategic and, and making the right decision. Absolutely. Well, sorry, I was, I was thinking because you brought up so many good points that we've talked about in episodes past of what what does it look like internationally and what are these outlying factors that are starting to creep into lots of people's space in the 3PL? Um, we actually had a question and I was actually going to see if you um, had any insight to this, Michael. If not, I had uh, a company I would refer to. We had a question come from YouTube and if you're listening to this, again, you're more than welcome to ask these questions live. Uh, if you are watching or listening, put those in the comments and make sure, we'll try to make sure to answer your questions. It's beauty of this show. Um, and being live and watching live. Um, Raina from YouTube actually mentioned, we sell products, uh, private label products through FBA, have brand registry and trademark for the brand name we use. When we started a few years back, we purchased UPC codes through a reseller. Um, that's not uncommon, uh, Raina. So his question is, we've been using, we become becoming non-compliant since we've registered the name for them is different than theirs. Um, I'm assuming there were, it doesn't match the brand registry as, as how I'm reading this, Michael. He says, we want to bring the situation with Barco's identifiers into compliance and looking into the easiest way to do it. Do you have any partners or any ideas in terms of how to resolve or go over these kinds of issues to help bring out? Yeah, so that is a, an easy answer, I would say. Within the past couple of years, Amazon's partnered with GS1, which is really a... GS1, for people who don't know, they're basically a standardized, they have a standardized system for barcodes. So pretty much all your UPCs, um, your now now EANs is what was being used in the EU. Um, and now everyone's moving to GTINs. I don't know, I don't know what that stands for, but it's a, a UPC is like maybe nine characters or 12, no, it's 12 characters. The GTIN is uh, the UPC plus three. So it's now 15 characters and everyone's moving to that. And I think it's gonna be a more of a global system. But essentially what, what Ron is running into is here, here is what a lot of sellers, and even I, when I was originally selling, bought from a, a bot codes from a reseller because partnering with gs1 just or going in that regard seemed crazy and of course you can get better it's expensive yeah absolutely yeah and it, and looking at it now it's really not that expensive like if you've got 10 uh you if you've got 10 products 10 individual products that need individual UPCs, it'll probably cost you under a thousand dollars to to register those and then there's just a renewal rate each year and gs1 is a non-profit too so they're doing it from a, from a standardization standpoint and they're not a for-profit company, but they align just with Amazon, just like you know whoever does the gluten-free certification, they're coming along Amazon and saying, hey, let's standardize and say, if people want to claim that they're gluten-free, they need to have 
this certificate. And now Amazon's asking for that from sellers. We've had content get denied where someone says, you know, award-winning brand, and they're like, prove you have awards. And so we submit the awards to them and it gets put up. But if you can't back that stuff up, you're gonna be in a heap of trouble. So the way that to bring this specific situation into compliance is go to GS1, register your company, you get what's called a prefix. That's like your first six digits. And then the rest of your, you can determine, hey, I only want 10 UPCs. We've only got, you know, we've got under 50 products. That will determine how much you have to pay originally for the UPCs. Um, so that's something that, that you wanna look into. Uh, I just saw that he said, can we change the UPC codes for our listings without losing reviews and rank? Um, yes and no. It, it kind of depends upon what seller support says. Uh, if the product has not changed, but the UPC code has changed, and I don't want to advise anyone to do anything that could potentially be outside terms of service. And so there's a little bit of a gray area here. Um, and so that's why I'd say you need to go to seller support and talk to them. Um, but you need to, to say, hey, the product is the same, but the UPC is updated. Can we change this? I've seen different solutions. Um, so I, I know that it's possible, but I don't want to say this is definitely the solution because each person that you get seller support and seller support is kind of notorious for, for not being super helpful and just giving a template or response. Hey, we're looking into this, forward it to the right team, forward it to the right team. And for what I know about the seller support staffing, they're, they've got a case, like a, some kind of target or goal to get through in terms of cases. So the more cases they can close or quote unquote resolve, then that looks good from, from their score. So everybody's got metrics that they're living up to. So, you know, someone's answer could potentially be defined by how well am I doing at my job right now? I need to get more cases closed. Okay, well, I'm just gonna merge this with this other case, or I'm gonna forward you to the appropriate team, or I'm gonna, I need to get this, you know, actually resolved right now so it doesn't keep popping back up. So, um, you know, without losing reviews and rank, it, it could be possible, but it depends upon what Amazon says. Uh, and honestly, at the end of the day, relaunching reviews, a product to get and getting new reviews and rank, it's not difficult. It just takes time. So, I mean, do, do you have the capital to invest in your products? I mean, you save money on the front end by, you know, not spending as much on the UPCs, but now you're wanting to, you know, legitimize, legitimize your brand. I just made up a word. Um, you want to legitimize your brand, and so you have to you have to kind of you know put on your big boy pants, so to speak, and and do what needs to be done. A lot of private label brands are realizing, okay, we can't sell this product anymore. We can't do this specific thing anymore because the way that it's been done is no longer accepted by Amazon, and that is one of the reasons why we've been really focused. Cartology has been really focused on brands. Is starting from the start they're, they're doing things the right way they're getting registered they're getting the appropriate uh consults with people they need so that they're getting the right certifications so they're getting in front of the right uh, maybe vendor managers at you know kroger whatever the case might be to or getting with the right companies to help them to be prepared for retail um i have a friend named jessica thomas and she runs a a company called curate 360 and it's all about helping businesses to become what she says, uh, market ready and retail ready. And retail ready is when you've got your product, you know, you're, you're ready to, to go, but market ready is like, you're actually able to compete in the marketplace. And the difference between those two is really funding. Um, but anyway, I, I digress. It, this is fixable, Rana, but 
it, it's going to take a little effort on your part. You're going to have to go to GS1 and register. It's really not that expensive, especially you know depending upon what you're doing from a revenue standpoint. Twenty five hundred dollars for the year just to get to become compliant again. I think that's a big key. It sounds yeah. like he's not, not compliant. Therefore, and I think the saving grace for you, Rana, too, is if all those things you're saying be true, your trademark, you're registered, um, brand name, use, all that stuff is in compliance. Obviously, um, they would work with you, hopefully, in that regards. Yeah. And seller support would be ones to help you in that regards to make sure, like, hey, they they are matching. It could be as simple as you know, making sure that they identify it and as your brand and you're good to go from that uh, standpoint. So obviously reach out and then like Michael said, GS1, that would be good to register your UPC codes through there. Hopefully that helps. And uh, thanks for we your question. We are globally well. compliant too. So if you register in the US, your products, you'll get UPCs, G10s, you'll get everything so that you can go across um, like Canada, UK, wherever the case may be. Absolutely. Well, we're really cool. So with that being said, Michael, yeah, like problems like that are always like globally. I think a lot of what people suffer in their, they're really concerned, like what's next in terms of getting started with international growth, like in the EU, like you have the whole GHT, GST and VAT compliance. You have um, making sure that your imports are um, completely compliant and follow the codes and uh Brexit shot a lot of people in the foot in that regards. Yeah. Um, even inventory limits, it kind of affects you on that regards too. So depends on if they want to launch internationally or not, making sure the goods are good uh, to go. And then you have localization. We talked about yesterday or two days ago on our podcast. There, there's so many different factors that are kind of being thrown at people. Is it is it the notion that people are just, it's not worth my time, money, or an effort, and I would rather not do that internationally? Or is it just trying to overcome a higher barrier than it used to be a year or two ago. In terms of expanding like international growth. Yeah. Well, I mean like for a brand, if they're like, Hey, I want to go to Canada and they're like, Hey, you have this laundry list of like, all right, make sure you're, you're, you're compliant on these regards. You're going to play pay VAT four times a year. You're going to be maybe looking at a little bit smaller growth. You're going to need to have more orders that get shipped there directly. Um, you know, not the same extent as you might in the United States, but it might be 10% of what that is. So you have to negotiate with your supplier to get that MLQ up. Um, you yeah, know, partners that are there. That yeah, also partners that can fulfill or exactly. So all that being said, even knowing like if your goods are sitting there and even from ping pong's perspective, getting money back into your own pocket, all the fees associated with that too. Yeah. A lot of people just have headaches if they're like, I just didn't realize that there was the, all those barriers, what do you, what do you, when a client looks at all of that, is it just because it's too much for them to overcome or is it just because a barrier to entry for growth of a brand so much higher, it's just going to take a little bit more time, money, and effort. I mean, it's always going to take a little more time, money, and effort. I, I truly believe that. And that is the, the biggest ma managing a brand on Amazon has a lot to do with managing your expectations of what can happen versus just handling PPC and creating new content and logistics and inventory limits and a high IPI score and uh, feedback and product reviews, all that stuff. Those are all components. But how you set your expectations is, is going to determine your success because it's going to determine how you view and judge your success. If you want to, and, and here's, here's the God's honest truth. I will tell people the truth that, hey, we, we did a statistical modeling of what projections would look like for your company, and it's gonna take you a year to be profitable. Do you wanna do that? 
we're not, I'm not going to say, because I've taken people on before when they're not ready or not prepared and it only hurt us. It only hurt them. So I'm going to come out front and say, you know, in this, this happened during the pandemic, there was someone that was selling PPE and they wanted to, they're ready to go. Like, we're going to do this. We're going to go full scene where we want to sell on Amazon. And so uh, the guy that handles data on our team, he helped me put together a statistical model of what it would actually take, including our fees, including advertising, all that stuff. Um, how long it would take them to get profitable. And it was going to take them a year. And, you know, they might've made 1.5 million, but it would have cost them like 1.3. And just silence from these guys, just silence. Hey, well, we were at a conference or something. So, but they just lost interest. And, and I am making a little bit of an assumption here, which kind of goes against my rules, but they, they did eventually say, we're just gonna have to look for different avenues. And so right out of the gate, we could have gotten, you know, 10 grand or something out of that partnership and fees, but I didn't want to do that knowing that it was going to be a really tough and competitive space. And I've seen businesses that are in the PPE space that have been there for a while before COVID hit that just got ruined by all the people that flooded in. So it's become really heavily regulated on Amazon. And that I think um, is going to be a big determiner on how or why you should expand. If you're in the, if you're in cosmetics, if, uh, if you're in anything that has to do with the FDA, going even just going cross-border to Canada, your labeling requirements are different. Uh, I have a prospect who's mostly in Canada and they're working on um, expanding into the US. And, and it's not that hard to get your, your facility registered by the FDA. And it's, it doesn't even really, I don't even think it costs anything to register, but they have, can at any time have an agent come and check your facility to make sure you're compliant. And if you're not compliant, can't sell you know product according to the FDA. So you you have to know your category and what regulations are there. If you're selling office supplies, um, I mean electronics is going to be somewhat regulated, but I think you're going to have an easier time if it's like a microphone or something as as compared to which is is going to have an XLR cable. Um, it's it's but you're not plugging it into a wall and you don't need a certain voltage or something like that. So uh, it's really going to depend upon the category. And then, yeah, what are the costs and what are your expectations in terms of success? If you're like, look, Singapore is a, is a long game play for us. We really want to be there. We see ourselves developing in that market. They're English speaking. So we, we feel like there's good crossover there. Then, you know, it's something that you're going to, I think you, you should go for, but you should manage your expectations and say, it's going to take us a year to really be successful here. That's one of the things that I feel like and, and I mean, you know, Ryan, you you tell me, correct me if you if you feel like I'm wrong, but when it comes to the different, maybe the different agency approach that I'm wanting to take is not just take on everyone. And and I've seen people say we only deal with the top people, and it's very much a condescending, um, you know, we only work with seven and eight figure sellers type, mm -hmm. added, which is great. Sales are very sexy. Uh, I care a lot more about profitability because that's what. Um, you know, like the the sales, the seven, eight figure sales are like the lingerie. Um, I don't know what kind of lingerie you like to wear to bed, Ryan, but, you know, it's something nice and sexy, but it lasts for for a little bit. A little bit airy. Yeah, exactly. A little bit fluff. <laughs> you just got to, you just got to, you know, you just got to bunch up the fluff in in right area so it looks more right. airy. But yeah, you, it has to cover the right, the right, uh, the, the right, right regions for the sure. Right yeah, exactly. expansion. So, but the, your profitability is like your bed. That's where you sleep. That's what's going to help you um, continue to be able to, to pay the bills. So I think we're 
specific about who we work with because I want to make sure we're going into it the same expectations. And I have tried and tried to help people to adjust expectations, but when they're not willing, they will not change. It doesn't matter how much data you give them. It doesn't matter. I, I have uh, I've had clients and people and friends who work in the industry who talk about people who argue with data. And it's like, I'm not pitching this in any sort of way. I'm saying, this is getting this return. Well, um, I just don't think it's, I don't, I don't think it's, well, I think we're spending too much money. And it's like, well, yeah, but you're getting a four to one return, like for ads, for instance, you're right. getting a four to one return, but we're spending 10 grand. Yeah, but you're getting 40 grand in sales and that's actually helping your organic sales. Do you not understand that? That is the thing is if you can come into something, we've had clients who come in saying, we've been at Amazon for a while, but we know that things are changing. We haven't really utilized advertising and we need help in that regard. They're a little bit more flexible and they're willing to say, I don't, we don't know in this area and that's why we need help. And so in that regard, I want to work with those people because they're willing to change and mold. We have something that we did last year as an agency that this year it may not work. And so we tell clients, look, we're pivoting. And they might say, well, why didn't we, why didn't you do this last year? Well, we thought this strategy was going to work. It's not going to work anymore based on what we're seeing. So we're moving and adjusting. We're learning just like you're learning about how people are responding to your brand. So that I feel like everything, especially from a philosophical level, but everything comes down to expectations and your perspective. If you go and see Black Widow and you've hyped it up, since I know you're a Marvel fan, you you hype it up so big and you haven't seen a movie in a year and you go and even if it's a great movie, it's not, it doesn't give you the same feels that another movie gave you. It's mm. going to let you down. But if you go into it with no expectations, if you're just like, whatever, it's just a, a movie, who cares? It could end up blowing you away. So it's all about how, what your mindset is like going into that situation. And I, and I truly believe, and I've seen a lot of founders, business owners talk about this, you know, mindset is, is really everything. What, what are your expectations? What do you, what do you think you're going to get out of something? And, you know, like if you think that you're going to fail, you're going to fail. If you think you're going to succeed, you're going to succeed. But how are you framing those things? Like that really, I feel like there should be a, maybe that's what we're on right now, the philosophical Amazon podcast, but <laughs> I mean, sometimes in the 130 episodes I've done now, I think like a lot of it can come back to Phil, uh, philosophy and, and, and thoughts on things. Listen, I think you bring up good points, Michael. I think at the end of the day, a lot of people who don't succeed, they don't understand numbers. And I can mean that by profitability. You can talk about that in terms of quantifiable nature. Everyone can say, no matter how I spend it, I can say I'm a six, seven figure seller. I can do that. But are you profitable? I can sell a hundred thousand dollars worth. I think Kevin King says this best. Uh, he runs billion dollar seller something. He goes, I had people who say they're six, seven figure eight figure sellers, but are they actually bringing in six, seven, eight figures of growth or revenue? No, that's not true. Or profitability that that is just a number that is on their dashboard. What are you actually making in terms of profit? Is it $30,000? Well, you're not a millionaire in that regards. You're just right. pumping out a bunch of stuff. You're touching um, a million dollars, but you're not actually keeping a million dollars in right. the bank account. Yeah. And people don't understand. I've had sellers who, um, I've had brands who have come to me that have been on Shark Tank that have do all these kinds of things. And the problem they say of international growth, Hey, I didn't understand that there's all these different various taxes. There's different monetary, um, things you have to look for in terms of converting money back, uh, into a pocket. I didn't think it'd be that harder that, uh, you know, that difficult to do. And you look at them and you say, listen, like every economy in the world is different. 
you just happen to figure out one of these natures yep. and number, numbers are going to tell the story no matter where you grow. Again, if we're talking about just international in terms of numbers, are they, and going back to your numbers that you touted earlier, are they as sexy as the United States is right now? No. But if you look at five years ago where the United States was, does those numbers match up? Sure yep. as hell they do. And a lot of them are going to start to creep up the more and more Amazon gets adopted internationally. But that's not just on Amazon. That's marketplaces around the world as Rakuten continues to grow in Japan. Yep. Billion, billion plus people there. I don't think they would do well here in the U.S., but they kill in China because they know and they understand the culture. And yeah. that's so key to that. And so, and again, this is going to sound like a scripted plug, but... Get, when you're expanding internationally, the exchange rate, the moving from the pound or the euro back into the dollar, moving from yen back into the dollar, if you don't do that stuff on a regular basis, you need to find, you need to reach out to ping pong and say, we want to set up an account. We want to be able to find a partner that's going to help us to get the most out of our, out of our money because, you know, one, 2%, excuse me, I'm getting all choked up. One to two percent. It's a touching topic. I understand. One to two percent, you know, on your fees may not seem like a lot, but as your revenue grows, that's going to become a, a bigger, bigger monetary amount. And if you're trying to go from, you know, fifteen to twenty percent in terms of profitability, you know, two or three percent, if it's on fees, that could take you a long way. I'm just saying you got to right. find the right partners. If you well, don't, we're in the, right partners, yeah. you're going to. I was going to say we're we're in the industry of. Again, I know what people talk about. I can only imagine what company to company, if I'm a brand owner and I start to see, hey, two, two to three percent gets thrown at agency or, hey, this this fee per month I have to spend on this. And you start to see your balance sheet in your Excel book or whatever you're using in terms of profitability. Again, hopefully you have this, and yeah. not just theoretics. You're looking at your data and you're starting to see that profit number go down and down and down. And that percentage of what profitability is to you I forget what the, the whole nuanced nature of what a good profitability is, but obviously the higher the better. But if it's not north of 20%, you shouldn't be doing business in that either product or service. Or is it general. worth it to you? Is it worth yeah, it? Is it or is it worth it? Profitability, like set, I use this example a lot, but if you're selling a million dollars, you're a seven figure brand. Okay. Your profitability, though, could be $100,000. I would so much rather be six figures in revenue, sell 500,000 and take home 250,000. Then, I mean, whatever, whoever's selling 500,000 actually putting in their pocket 250 is in a good business, but yeah, that's um, a good model. But I would rather have more take home pay. It, it is not as sexy. And that's why categories like cosmetics, um, really beauty, um, but consumer electronics, yeah. supplements, they're really sexy space because people like talking about them. They, and, and honestly, sex sells a lot of those things too. And so it's really easy to ca capture people's attention and go for it, but actually getting sustaining power, that's a totally different, uh, that's a totally different topic because you're hot today, but you're not necessarily hot tomorrow. But those categories have higher cost per click. They have a higher barrier to entry because so many people want to be in there. I've heard people say, you know, I want to sell like people need garden hoses, go sell a better garden hose. It's not as sexy, but not many people are going in and trying to create the best garden hose besides Al Borland, whatever the, the flex uh, hose. Right. I was flex, about, yeah. but um, what, what I can't remember that guy's real name, but you know, from uh, home improvement. Um, right. 
But like you could go and sell a non-sexy product and do well. And what matters to you more, you could still create a great brand even with a garden hose. But what matters more? Is it the is it the sales figure or is it what you're what you're taking home? Right. So so I guess it kind of lead to that question is with all the numbers and you're you're having these conversations day to day, is there any other like place that we haven't like looked at? I know you're the, kind of the big guy of in terms of uh, Walmart and other other marketplaces in terms of possibilities and growth and nature. What are we not paying attention to in this space as much as we should? Um, the stat I would, if we're going to talk Walmart, I would share a stat with you if that's what you want to go down with. But yeah. it just came out. Walmart just surpassed a hundred thousand sellers on their marketplace in general, wow. and that that double that's doubled for the second year in a row now, according to marketplace polls. So. When I see two years of doubling growth, and I know that they're opening up to international audiences, if I'm a brand, which you deal a lot with, if I'm a brand, do I look and put my whole heart and growth factor into maybe more of a name, uh, Walmart that has doubling growth potential instead of Amazon, which is always going to be there, but it has more, you know, shoppers. Like, what do what do you go with in terms of? potential growth or do you go with like what's actually tangibly there today? Well, the, it's also important to make a distinction that just because there's double the sellers, that doesn't necessarily mean there's double the revenue or right. that's double the shoppers. So I would say, look at statistics are, um, what, did, what did Mark Twain say? Um, there are lies, damn lies and statistics. Like there's three different kinds of lies or something like that. I don't know that I necessarily believe that, but of course, in today's day and age, when you can anybody can be a media company, you can pretty much spin up whatever you want. What I would say though is Amazon is gonna continue to be there. I don't think Amazon by any means is going away. If anything, it's growing. I do think that there are a couple of areas though that they've left open that they're they're starting to make progress on, like you know, brand or seller relationships. That's an area that's significantly lacking with Amazon to the point where, you know, if you're an agency and, you know, you're logging into multiple accounts and they say, hey, we connected these two accounts. Yeah, they're, one of them's in this country, the other one's in this country. We, you know, this, this brand we worked with a year ago, we don't even work with them anymore. How are you connecting these two accounts as being the same person? Like, or, you know, you logging in with your your email address in multiple accounts, and they're like, "Well, we we track the same IP address here, okay?" But you know our URL. We're like on your developer council. We're a part of your service provider network. Those kinds of relationships that aren't being developed and built into that is an area where anybody could come into the marketplace and say, "We're going to be the the company that really cares as much about." sellers and brands as we do about the consumer and that there was always that struggle with ebay it was you know the consumer's always right well now the seller you know like my wife bought like a north face jacket on ebay i don't know 20 years ago that was like 85 bucks and it never got sent to her um and the seller kept the money but then it changed into the other side um it it, it changed into you know the the buyers always being right so i, I think I don't, I don't say, I mean, I tell people you need to be omni-channel because just in general, because each market has its volatilities. Brick and mortar was, was volatile with the pandemic and the percent of sales that's now going to e-commerce has grown almost 
like 10 years worth just in the past year. Five to 10, yeah. Keep in mind, um, keep in mind, but also like walmart.com. I think they're uh, definitely gonna be a competitor of Amazon. We're developing a service for that with our current clients and something that uh, hopefully we'll be able to, you know, really be full swing talking about. But I think it's important to to know, I think ultimately what your long-term goals are. Like you, you, you wanna be on Amazon because you wanna be competitive. You wanna be where consumers are. But I believe that Walmart is probably the most, can be the most competitive against Amazon because of the amount of capital that they put behind it and what they're able to acquire in terms of infrastructure. They've already got, you know, they're starting Walmart fulfillment services. So they're they're starting um, maybe to, to utilize some of their, their warehouse footprint that they already have with their stores. There's a lot of ways that retail could progress, but yeah, I think you, you just have to look at what's the long-term goal and line that up with what you want. I mean, there's there's a lot of cool new marketplaces that are popping up. I think eBay is still a very valid marketplace. Some of their categories do billions of dollars each year. Um, so that's not unheard of. And there's a lot of new products that are on there. And I mean, I feel like eBay is kind of broken out of that. Um, but I still buy and, and sell like used music equipment on, on eBay because it's easy to do and, and I enjoy it. So you have to know the marketplace. There's like Top Hatter is a, uh, you know, a newer one that I saw debut at the ASGTG show like a couple of years ago. And they, they still seem to be going strong. I don't know a lot about them, but there's all kinds of marketplaces. So what is your long-term goal? Know who your target audience is and then say, okay, where do we, where do we see them now? Where do we think they're going to be? One of the hurdles that Walmart's going to have to overcome is the idea of, you know, being like a, always the low price option. Amazon's had to deal with that as well. And I think they've, they've done well in overcoming that. There are, we have clients who have 200 plus dollar products and they sell well. So you just have to know what you see as being the future. So like, where are you at right now? What's your long-term goal and how, doing things short-term, but we're going to start to make steps towards that long-term goal. So like you said, Ryan, yeah, you know, Germany might be peanuts compared to the U S marketplace, but there's going to continue to be growth there. There's going to continue to be more adoption with e-commerce if you just look at the trends. So get in now and, and build that wall of attribution on the keywords that you need to sell on uh, to or, or in, in your ads in, to perform better so that when everybody else comes over, which a lot of people are doing now in the U.S., and a lot of brands are like, oh, man, COVID told us we really need to get our butts in onto Amazon. Um, but if you'd gotten in two years ago, imagine what could have happened where you could be at now. That's what I'm saying. Right. And if your goal is to build a brand, branding, it doesn't stop at just country borders. It, yep. it is literally, what do you think of when you see product XYZ? Name should come to mind. And that's that's when you know you win. And it could be as tchotchke as, you know, a pen like you had uh, showcased earlier with that brand. Or it could be as high valued and nuanced as, you know, uh, a luxury, you know, spa equipment or something like that. It could be literally anything, but you need that market to understand and know who you are. That's, that's the whole point of this conversation today. So there's yeah, opportunity. Clear, this is a $40 pen. This is not a tchotchke pen. This is a big, I I know I'm saying it's a tchotchke. <laughs> I say small things like tchotchke. Oh, okay. Okay. But, I yeah. Like so that. not as, yeah, not, not saying the value is not there. I'm assuming that, if I'm going to use a pen like that, I swear to God, I better be writing poetry like Shakespeare. Yeah. Um, <laughs> or I just better be writing for my job. Or I might, yeah, just like, co yeah, coherent sentences must I've be. I've got like, journals on, 
journals that I write in, I write notes in, or I'll talk about content. And I've got like four stacked up right here. I don't, I honestly don't know why, but um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think you have to know what, I talk about playing the long game a lot. You have to know what your long game is. And so many brands, I feel like a lot of private label brands have a, have a good short game, but two years from now, they could be non-existent because Amazon changes something and, and now what are you going to do? And you never diversified into different channels. Channel diversity. I mean, I know diversity inclusion is, is a really hot topic right now, but like channel diversity, you should be multiple channels because Amazon can shut you down anytime they want. There could be another pandemic. There could be another rise in the pandemic. I don't hope that, but that's all a possibility. Amazon could shut you out and then you never invested time in Walmart. That's revenue that, that could have been helping you grow there. And I don't know, there's so many things. Let's just keep the show going for another three hours and talk about it. Yeah, we'll, we'll get multiple people on here and just like start pulling people from Prosper to start, start weighing yeah. in. Uh, well, no, I, th I think the concluding uh, thoughts I have between our topics of there, there's there's a thing I constantly hear from lots of, of these businesses that are acquiring. And again, uh, yesterday was case in point when you have brands who have built out, they have these solutions in place. The reason why I was intriguing for Perch buying this one company, and again, I it's like WWS is what it stands for. I think is like worldwide systems or something. Yeah. I, I forget what it, what it stands for, but I looked them up and the most intriguing fact is that they have their own fulfillment logistics solution in place, okay. which makes sense as perch acquiring brands can start fulfilling and diversifying yeah. their ways. If Amazon shuts down a category like they did in 2020, early 2020, you have all these different options in terms of fulfillment. You have the thought leaders, the people who are running Perch. Again, shout out to Perch for we're one of their partners uh, in in many capacities. But, but that's their long game. They're looking, right. they're looking at a long they're, solution. Exactly. But they yeah, they had heads come from Wayfair, which again is fulfillment in solutions, not through a you know, not through Amazon. It's done outside and building brands off of Amazon. Again, Amazon's very dependent. You have to be dependent as a form and function, but you also also have to build like this, the stable of stallions, right? You need, you have your workhorse, but then you also have your other ones who just like the gym, like, let's talk about like gymnastics. Like you have Simone Biles, but you need to have other people who supplement and round have, out your team, yeah. right to round out your team again. Like I didn't think we'd be talking about international Olympics day, but well, that's what comes to mind, right? Like you have Simone workhorse. Biles either. Simone Biles exactly. is, is unique. And I think a, a lot of times, people fail on Amazon because they want to be Simone Biles, but they can't, and that's okay. You don't have to be great or even be impactful. Like I talked about wanting to run my own agency and do it differently. I wanna have a positive impact on people. If we generate less revenue, but we actually positively impact lives, help to end modern day slavery, help to, to, to help people in our own communities, if we can actually have a positive impact in people's lives, I'll give that up for additional revenue any day because I know that it's gonna be lasting and it's gonna be something that that ultimately is, is about a legacy. And that's what is more important for me. It's not about, of course I wanna make money as a business. Of course I wanna be profitable. I wanna be able to uh, pay for things and food and groceries and, and a house and go on trips, all that stuff. But if I'm not having a positive impact on people, then it just falls short for me. So you have to know what your long game is and start making decisions now and taking action now towards your long game, even when everyone else is talking about, we're getting acquired and we're doing this and we're doing this. If you aren't focusing on your long game, then you know, might as well just exit now. Right. Well, that being said, it sounds like someone's home from camp or, or something like that. No. At home, but, 
<laughs> Sounds like it's time. Yeah, I, I know. I uh, there, There's so many different avenues we can obviously go down in terms of branding and growth. Uh, maybe final question for you, Michael, is what's kind of like the rest? We, we just passed the halfway of 2021. What's kind yeah. of that, like, what's that final push in the year going to look like for you and your team and, and kind of what you guys are going to be working on starting to roll into the 2022? Yeah, so we're going to be continuing to bring on more brands uh, to, to run through, you know, Amazon strategy and a custom end-to-end -end solution for brands, um, developing out what additional marketplaces look like. So walmart.com, things like that. Um, and then just continue to bring on the right people to our team. Uh, you know, I know talent is hard to come by uh, these days because either they're doing their own thing or maybe they're, you know, working for a big company and they're getting paid a lot of money to do that. And there's just not enough heads to, to fill all, to put butts in seats for all the, the demand that's out there. So finding the right people, making sure we're bringing on the right people and, and they're getting trained appropriately. Um, partnering with people to help in that regard. Like, you know, we have a lot of SOPs and stuff, but you know, there's some things like strategy and insight that can take a lot longer to, to build out and not everyone can do that like they say they can. So it's gonna be bringing on more of the right mission focused brands, uh, bringing on the right people to help support that mission of ours. And then uh, making sure that when it comes, that we're, that we're providing all the services we need to with Amazon because that's, really becoming a bigger need. Can you do this? Can you work at the influencers? Can you do all this other stuff? And then also working with walmart.com uh, to, to build out a, a service that is going to help brands to be competitive in, in the long, the long game. Awesome, man. Well, that's good stuff. And I'm excited to see like you and other agencies, like we found on the show, kind of like what that next move is. I'm excited because there's more talk about this industry more now than ever, yeah. but as people continue to put like Amazon behind their like strategy and their services, and whatnot, again, as long as they have the experience and the fortitude and the, the wherewithal of how to understand the space, I think that's where you're gonna continue to see success, uh, not just on Amazon, but e-commerce branding growth, it all ties into a nice little pretty bow and that's what's exciting about the industry we're both in. So, um, but hey, congrats on the new podcast coming soon. Thanks, I mean, you don't have a name. You no, don't have a name the longer game. Let's say it one more time. The longer game. The longer game. Okay. So we talked so, about the long game, this right. is the longer game, so it's even further than the long game. <laughs> this I almost wanted the longest game, but that's that's life. Right, not the short game like in golf or, uh, yeah, you know, you're, uh, yeah, we're not the long game, but the longer What's the trajectory? Game? That's what I want to talk about. And it's talking about the future of retail. So it's not just the Amazon, it's not just e-commerce, but commerce in general, um, which I like that that's one of the focuses of your podcast. You're looking at things from a larger perspective. And so I want to bring that into focus a little bit more. Amazing, man. Well, we'll just uh, tout you as like, hey, we knew him when before he started uh, the podcast journey. So, hey, that, that hey thanks for hopping. It's art in the background. Exactly. Yeah, right. But yeah, th thanks for so much for hopping back on to your friends of the show as always. And I know we put our episode out there before this. Um, go ahead and check that out. And then we'll put this audio format out there for people to listen on all the podcasts, different uh, channels as well, wherever you can consume and listen to favorite shows this will be one of them hopefully for sure in the future so thanks so much for hopping on where can they find out connect with you is it is it linkedin best way to reach out to you you can reach out to me on linkedin uh, i mean you can also go to our website thinkcartology.com and fill out a form contact us i mean i get those directly um, you can even email me at michael at thinkcartology.com but I, i'm pretty active on linkedin you know there multiple times a day and putting out content and stuff so yeah just hit me up there happy to to connect 
Awesome, man. Well, thanks so much for hopping on again today and talking thanks. international growth and what's next for branding. Awesome. Thanks so much, Michael uh, from Cartology. Again, check them out, thinkcartology.com. If you are um, a brand that's looking to either needs help in certain areas of your growth internationally or just branding in general, uh, check out Michael. He has great, uh, obviously, insights and thoughts on the matter, as you heard earlier today and then from prior episodes uh, before. So check them out as well. What do you think, uh, listener? What do you think about just international growth? Is there opportunity they've been having your eye on? Is there places that either look scary to you, but you think that you might get into with your brand? What are your questions for international growth? And we just want to know your thoughts. Uh, go ahead and put that in the comment section or make sure that you just like this sh uh, show and episode and go ahead and share it with your audience. If you have different uh, opinion, definitely let us know. We want to hear all the, the pros and cons of what we talked about today. No answer is incorrect um, for, for me at least. So I, I won't speak for Michael, but no answer is incorrect. Our thoughts are incorrect. So thank you for everyone who chimed in today. Thank you to all the listeners who continue to put this as one of their top shows in the Amazon and e-commerce space. My name is Ryan Kramer. This is Crossover Commerce. Tune in next week for more content. We're going to be coming live four times next week. So make sure you guys tune in then. We'll catch you then. Bye.